Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Question. This week's guest grew up on a farm, graduated from the University of Adelaide, became a journalist at the Adelaide Advertiser, and moved on to the age where she worked in the paper's London Bureau. Then, when she returned to Australia in the mid-2000s, she wrote books, won Walkley Awards, and also appeared on quiz shows, Randling, and panel shows, Gruen. And from those beginnings, a stellar TV career emerged in which she wrote and starred in such shows as Kitchen Cabinet, where she'd prepare a meal with a politician while interviewing them, The House about the inner workings of Parliament House, Back in Time for Dinner about a modern family discovering how Australians shopped, cooked and ate in the olden days, and now they're returning tomorrow tonight, where a panel of guests work out how to survive a groundbreaking hypothetical news story. I speak, of course, of Annabelle Crabb. Our chat was short and funny and moving, and only slightly hampered by builders attaching Annabelle's roof to her house. And I started by asking her how her fellow workers would describe her. I think my fellow workers would describe me as pleasant and shambolic. Um, I'm I'm quite a friendly person and I'm chronically uh, disorganised but enthusiastic with it. I think that would be... (laughs) If you ask Lee Sales, she'd say that I start anecdotes way too early. Like I have a sort of, I have a, like, I have a Jeff Thompson length run up. To an <laughs> um, but, you know, I get there. Is that a journalist kind of thing to be enthusiastic but shambolic? Well, look, journalism suits me because I don't like doing the same job every day. Like I'm a bit of a, like, I like variety. And so the idea of having a job where I do the same thing at the same time every day, it freaks me out. Like even, I remember I once filled in for, or a couple of times filled in for Richard Glover on his um, afternoon shift uh, on Sydney radio. Now he is just an incredibly accomplished broadcaster and you listen to him, he's been doing it for years and years, still sounds as interested today as he was on day one. After two weeks of filling in that shift, I'm like, I'm ready to do something else. And my whole career, I've thought, why can't I just hold down a sort of steady job? And I know now it's because I love just waking up in the morning and thinking, today is a massive shit fight. I've just got to get through it. There's so much on. Or I wonder what surprises today will bring. Well, you have lived in, you know, a really interesting life because when you, you went from, I think it was the advertiser to Fairfax and then you became a you were based in London, yeah. but when you came back, you immediately appeared on television, and that wasn't un- that wasn't unusual for, for a journalist to suddenly appear on entertainment shows. Was an unusual thing yeah. in those days. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really think about it that much. I think I'm probably someone who you know, and I like new opportunities when they bob up, and mm. I'm probably on balance, you know, my instinct is always we'll give it a shot. Um, And actually, sometimes I think it's only looking back that I think, well, that was a weird decision or like that was a bit, you know, that was a bit courageous. Didn't feel this way at the time. I mean, the only thing that I did that I ever thought, hmm, am I actually just setting myself on fire here was with Kitchen Cabinet when um, I thought I'm doing a cooking show, but I'm a political writer. Like, how's that going to work? And I was sort of a little bit, what is Laurie Oakes going to think, you know? Um, but, um, you know, the older that I get, and honestly, I mean, this is sort of a bit of a gender thing too. I think, 
women sometimes get a bit more worried about what people are going to think or whatever. The older I get, the less worried I am about that stuff because the more I realise that you actually can't control what people think of you and who cares anyway. Um, you know, that's a great thing about getting older that I just absolutely love. And so I know that the thing that really gets me going is doing new stuff, finding out new things, interviewing new people, finding ideas that entertain or, you know, um, enlarge my brain. And um, I'm very fortunate that I get to do a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I'm um, happy as a clam. Yeah. You obviously have to entertain yourself and by doing so you entertain us. Um, perhaps, I mean, I love Kitchen Cabinet. The Penny Wong episode huh. made me cry. Yeah. Um, was it more revealing a show than you thought it would be? The theory was that you can ask people sort of different sorts of questions when you're in their house um, from the questions that you can ask. And I've learned a lot about interviewing for television over the years, actually, because I love interviewing for print because you just, you know, set a recorder or take notes and you can just talk forever and ever and ever. You can really wear them down. You eventually get to what you need, sometimes by attrition. <laughs> but when you're interviewing on camera, it's a totally different thing. And I mean, I've filled in for Lee Sales on 7.30 before and that's that's the hardest because you've only got seven minutes. Mm. And I mean, I love a big stroll up. You know, I like to kind of, you know, kitchen cabinet, I'd interview people for four hours. By the end of it, they're like begging for mercy and they'll tell me <laughs> anything just to get rid of me, right? And that's sort of what happened in Misrepresented too. We interviewed them for four hours each. So there is a great merit to that, well, for an interviewer of that format because you allow the interviewee to get all the things said that they really want to say, you know, this is, you know, something I really need to, you know, this policy area needs to be explained in this way. And then once you've run out of things that they really wanted to say, then you start getting to the stuff that they weren't really thinking about before. And sometimes really old stuff pops out. So I'm a big fan of the long range interviewing. Um, but this show tomorrow tonight, interestingly, which is now in its second series, second series very different from the first series, what we kind of cottoned on to for the second series is that this show is essentially an interview show. It's, a, it's, it's an interview show where you put people in weird positions and ask them to consider questions that they haven't really tangled with before and their views change when you push them into deeper waters. And mm. um, I'll apologise for these drilling sounds. It's um, uh, a group of people putting my a roof back on. We took it off yesterday. And the house flooded because it rains in Sydney. Anyway, oh my god, the drilling sound is that's what's going on. Um, what was the most unhelpful feedback you've received? Oh, huh. oh my god! Look, I've received so much feedback over the years. Um, much of it thanks to the the genius of social media. I think the most unhelpful suggestion that is made to me regularly is you really need to learn how to say no. Usually someone who's saying that to me is saying that to me because they want me to say no to other people and not to them. Because <laughs> I do lots of different things. My Like the diary is a bit of a nightmare. So, you know, like at the moment, I'm just doing, you know, talking about tomorrow tonight, which is about to be on television, which is great. And I really love making that show. But also uh, the federal budget is coming up and tomorrow tonight, premieres the night after the federal budget. And I'm also filming a new series of Back in Time for Dinner at the same time 
uh, as the election campaign that is also imminent. So like I've got lots of things on at once and that is actually the way that I like to work because mm-hmm. I am a shambolic person. It's annoying for people around me because I'm a bit of a whirlwind. Um, but so I do often have people say, you really need to learn how to say no, but I don't, you know, I don't love saying no. And I have extreme FOMO because I hate missing out on interesting stuff that, Mm. you know, that's kind of life enhancing because it's curious and, you know, um, exciting. And, you know, we're making a new series of Back in Time for Dinner that is um, set in a corner shop. The family have to run a corner shop starting in 1850 and going all wow. the way, you know, a, a century and a half through Australian history. And I love the 1850s. I'm obsessed with the 1850s as an era. So I'm very excited about it. But, you know, sometimes life is, there's not enough time to be interested in all the things and do all the things. But, you know, I do like to give it a shot. I do see when, when people, when they see you out socially, they want to talk politics with you. Right. And that's fine. Yeah, particularly at the moment. Oh, my God, politics is, yeah. Look, I will say politics isn't always, um, it's not always inspiring. And, like, in fact, there have been times in the past few months where I've felt really down about, you know, the sorts of things that end up getting argued about when there are more important and urgent things to be either argued about or maybe negotiated over in good faith and I think in my darker times I think that you know um, our parliament sometimes does not do its one job which is to get together and hammer out an unsatisfactory but workable solution to the great conflicts of our age you know that doesn't always happen sadly no um question three is what is the failure you most cherish Huh. Uh, contraception vis-a-vis my third child uh, was the first top of mind, um, you know, answer. <laughs> well, look, I am a bit scared of failure. Like I don't, I don't fail at things all that often. Um, um, <laughs> to be absolutely frank with you, I'm going to cry, but like, um my brother took his own life recently and that is a great failure because I feel like I failed to look after him. So that is a scary failure. Um, And, um, but, you know, that is something that, I don't know, failures are full of snaky connections, right? Like full of guilt self-reproach and the things that really get me I'm not failing at you know professional endeavors you know god the first time I ever wrote a book I nearly had a nervous breakdown and then when I finally handed it in the publisher said this is unprintable what (laughs) we can't you know we're not going to publish it like a year and a half two years of work where I nearly lost my mind and they said we're not publishing this. So, I mean, like that, that's a professional failure, right? And like, you know, that was hard, but it doesn't, it doesn't get you in the heart, like letting people down, like failing other people. That is what really scares me, you know, and I hate that. Um, 
you know, sometimes we can focus too heavily on our professional shortcomings. Mm. Having said that, I do relate to the the two years on a project <laughs> that's um, that goes nowhere. But obviously, it didn't because you've written several, you've written quite a few other books, right? So, I mean, you know, as gutting as that was, actually, it did turn out that incident turned out to be productive because there was another publisher that had been kind of like pursuing me a little bit and I talked to her and said is this a normal thing that happens you know and she said well not really and I said well look she said oh, give me a look at it anyway then she published it so it, oh, wow. kind of, it didn't it didn't didn't disappear but it was um yeah but I got better at writing books after that too you know um things are always the hardest and most um traumatic when you do them for the first time right it's like you drive a car and you think I'm going to hit everything on the road there's no way that I will ever not be convinced I'm about to sideswipe something um and the first time you write a news story as a journalist you think this 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 is going to take me five hours because I can't work out how to order the information. I can't I can't work out how to make this flow. What is the most important thing? What do I put in the intro? What do I put in the second part? How do I explain this? What belongs in this story and what doesn't? Now, when I first was a journalist, it would take me you know four hours to write a story. Now I can probably write you know I can I can thump out a quality opinion piece at them in like an hour <laughs> because muscle memory. I know how to do it. That's um, right. And so it's the most unfair thing about journalism is that day one is the hardest <laughs> and it gets easier as you go along, like just in terms of the, you know, mechanics of writing and getting ideas from here to, you know, keyboard. Yes. You I must remember, think that about TV, right? Like, well, yeah, TV. Well, I was a journalist first, so I had to unlearn everything I knew structure-wise in journalism. Uh, well, that's but, what I find too because, like, one of the things that I love about writing is, you know, complicated fancy sentences and every time I write a book and I have to record an audio book I just hate myself because it's I think why do I have such long sentences and <laughs> when, I write, when I write for television I'm usually surrounded by kind people who say no you can't have all those words <laughs> not enough time. and I think but that's how I write but the truth is you know television is completely different and you know it's amazing to learn that stuff I mean there's some stuff that I will never like ever be able to understand in television like great television editing it's like witchcraft it's like mm -hmm. the druids to me like I can't see how they do it but they do it I'm not a very visual kind of organizer of information but like when I sit there and watch really great television editors who can take a sequence and somehow invest it with life and movement it's like you know it's like magic Oh, hundred percent. But but then again, they're using the same skills that you're using with your journalism. Um, yeah. Which uh, which word or phrase do you most overuse? I overuse the word absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely use it too much. When I think about why, I actually think it's because I'm very I'm full of doubts as a person, right? Like it, it's sort of why I'm interested in politics. I'm always interested in people who are absolutely convinced of their own views because I'm never that convinced of mine, you know. I, I'm completely not suggestible, but, you know, I could never be a politician because I probably would, would sit there in, you know, a debate and think, 
you have a very good point there. <laughs> you know? um, and I don't think there are absolute answers to questions. So I think that sometimes when I'm enthusiastically saying, I absolutely believe this, I'm kind of chalking up my own, you know, I'm, I'm saying to the person, I'm full of doubts, but on this, I'm remarkably convinced. <laughs> That's great. I love absolutely is a word. Fun fact, when I first became a baby journalist and I learned shorthand, the shorthand signal for absolutely is actually a very soothing and rhythmic shape to make over and over and again. And I love the shorthand, ah. absolutely. It's got a little app and then a B and then a little, little, nobody who doesn't do shorthand will be listening to this and thinking anything but this woman is nuts. But the shorthand symbol for absolutely is a symbol that I enjoy drawing. That's is that fun. Pittman's or is it the other one? No, that's T-Line. It's, yeah. the, it's the newfangled uh, shorthand <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> I think I did tear line, but but yeah, I don't know why I had Pittman's in my mind just then. Um, finally, do you have a motto? Uh, well, sometimes I, I have different mottos for different parts of my life. Um, I've always thought that life's too short to work for jerks, you know. Um, I've really kind of in my life and career moved to where great people are, like, there's nothing that's more of a waste of time than working for or with somebody that where it's not working out. It's just a waste of time. And working with people that, you know, get you or you get them or you do different things well and they lock together, it's like the key to productivity, you know. I look at that podcast that I do with Lee and it doesn't cost us very much effort at all and yet we kind of come up with all this content because we just work really well together and our brains kind of contrast in exactly the right way and if you said to me Annabelle you need to go to the Sydney Town Hall and entertain people off the top of your head for two hours well I'd die of fright I'd never be able to do it but if you said pick up Lee on the way I'd be like yeah let's make it six hours we could do that no <laughs> wow Right? Finding a collaborator is the hardest thing. It really is. It's like finding a, a, you know, someone, a life partner. Yeah. And I always like in my early days where I would, you know, do things and not really know enough about, you know, television, for instance, to know that this isn't working out. I think I'm bad at this. Actually, so much of those sorts of collaborative forms of work are about finding the right person, Mm. the right people. And then it's easy, man. You can do heaps. It's not that hard. Thank you so much for tuning in to Out of the Question. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. Until next time, thanks for joining us.